Hey guys, welcome back to this week's episode of the American Landman. I'm your host, Neil Hogger, land specialist with Whitetail Properties Real Estate in Western Wisconsin, coming to you directly from the American Landman Studios in Western Wisconsin. Well, today I'm going to talk a little bit about a couple different topics. I'm bringing in a uh, kind of an agent profile. This is Clint Stout, and Clint is a Whitetail Properties land specialist who's doing some really cool things, and you guys are going to want to check him out. He's got the I don't know. He's got the coolest life going. Um, check him out on Instagram. I'm looking at his page. Uh, he travels uh, all over the United States hunting elk and moose. And he was a guide up in Alaska. And just some of his photography and the lifestyle that he captures and puts on Instagram, it's uh, it's envious. I'll be honest with you. It's pretty cool. And he's a super guy. He's a super agent. I think he won um, the uh, state of Pennsylvania top specialist last year. There's a photograph I'm here looking at, and it's got a beautiful big whitetail antler and um, must be a traveling trophy. He's a great guy. I remember him getting this. I'm a little envious of that uh, that trophy there. But we're going to talk about a couple of things. Clint has been an agent with Whitetail Properties for about 10 years. I think he just went over 10 years. Um, kind of a cool story. Just walked into Whitetail Properties one day when he was out in the uh, Illinois area doing some oil and gas uh, deal. And he comes from a family of landmen in the oil, gas, and timber. So he's got a really cool background that lends himself very well to his job because he's also got a degree in wildlife management. And that combined into just a fantastic uh, mix of skills that helps him excel at selling land. I think when you meet him, uh, if you're buying or selling through him, or if you just meet him in person, he's just kind of a guy that easy going. He doesn't, he's not overly aggressive. He's not overly confident. He just kind of knows his stuff and, and you feel comfortable and you, you feel good about it when you meet him. So we're going to talk about uh, somehow he's buying some timber farms. I think he gives some good insight into timber, what to look for. Um, we talk a little bit about some of the deals that I'm coming across right now that I, I think have some timber property opportunity as well. Uh, we didn't get into his personal farm, but I know he owns uh, his own land and he's managing it. So he's definitely got the local skills. So if you want to you know, meet him locally and and uh, kind of see his own farm, you can definitely do that. And then finally, I think we're going to get into some difficult sellers and the types of things that we deal with. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Before we do get into it, let's take a moment out for our sponsors and then we'll get right back to the show. I'm Neil Hogger and I'm a land specialist with Whitetail Properties Real Estate and this is the American Landman Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Vitalize Seed. Cycle nutrients the way nature intended. The Packer Max HD Culta Packer Crimper. 100% of your seed goes down, 100% of your seed comes up. Landgate, data, intelligence, and marketplace for land and its resources. First Products Grain Drills, maker of the multi-drill. Quality, precision, durability. And lastly, acres.com. Explore and value land with confidence. And now, back to the show. And welcome to the show, Clint Stout. Hey, Clint. Welcome, buddy. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, well, once again, the uh, all two of our listeners here at the American Landman Studios are going crazy waiting for this uh, discussion. Clint Stout, agent profile from Western Pennsylvania, because we haven't had anybody from there, I don't believe. So welcome to the show. Yeah, definitely. Looking forward to it. A little perspective from a little further east. All right. Well, um, you know, I didn't really have a uh, tremendous, like, schedule or plan on this conversation, but I follow you online and, and you're super interesting and I know you're killing it in Western Pennsylvania. And I like to try to bring different perspectives from different markets uh, and different people that are, you know, really out there buying, managing, selling American land. And um, cause that's what we like to talk about. So I'm hopeful that I can kind of pull out of you, you know, what's going on in your local market. And I know you're buying and selling some properties and you're a land guy yourself. Um, and then let's talk about, uh, maybe some difficult clients that we've dealt with, because I don't think that listeners, buyers that we work with, even sellers, you know, really understand, you know, what we do as agents sometime and kind of like what we put up with and why the market prices are set the way they are, why deals go down the way they do. So I think that'll be a good topic to get into. Sound good? Yeah, definitely. I think that's a good thing to head on. All right. Sure. All right. Well, let's start off with this. Uh, people don't know you. Um, I know you. 
tell us about yourself. Tell us how you got into the business, where you live, and you know whatever you want to fill us in on. Yeah, so kind of interesting story there. Uh, actually, in uh, 2010, uh, the company was obviously pretty new as far as whitetail properties then, and I uh, drove to Illinois to lease oil rights. And the Carter brothers, who I think also have a real estate company, uh, were supposed to meet me. Couldn't couldn't uh, couldn't get a meeting even after I drove out. Uh, saw the billboards. Uh, on the side of the, the old office, I think there were only four people in the office at that time. <laughs> yeah, and uh, <laughs> rolled in and started talking to them and and Dan, yeah, you got to go talk to Pete, and uh, he knows where the oil stuff is. Came friends with them, started staying at Pete's house, Jeff's house, and uh, came friends with them. 2013, and uh, they said we're going to come to Ohio. You want to be our first guy there? And, uh, here I am now. You know, so it was a good start. Uh, but grew up in western Pennsylvania. Uh, my dad has an oil and gas and, and timber company. And so I uh, grew up in that, graduating with a wildlife management degree in 2008. I went to work with him with a landman, ended up supervising all the drill rigs and everything after that. And uh, the, the landman thing, I would say, was the biggest thing to get me uh, a real good idea how to do land sales. Because I was basically back then without technology we have now. I was looking up plat books, going in courthouses and knocking on doors. We didn't have map right and everything. Oh now. yeah. It's all online now. So that was, that was a game changer to really understand the land, the lay of the land here. And, uh, that got, got me kicked off and started here with whitetail property. And so you've been, so how many years you got in right now? I think it's 10. Yeah. This would be 10, the 10th year here at whitetail property. Well, I'm seeing, um, so you're just ahead of me. I saw Bob Stolberger, one of our Minnesota guys. They put up a Facebook post with a congratulations, ten years. A lot of a lot of us guys here, man. You get in, you don't leave, and you stick around a long time. And nowadays, ten years in any job it seems like an eternity. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, and the fact that you just walked in, so you you literally cold called the national headquarters of Whitetail Properties. You just walked in. I just walked right in the door because <laughs> I actually to this day don't have TV. And I've never seen a TV. So you don't have a TV. I don't have a TV. Oh no. my God. My wife would like to hear that. Cause she says I watch too much, but I'm sitting here watching YouTube channels all the time, but no TV. Wow. Yeah. So I just saw the sign and thought, Hey, the land place, they might know where there's oil and gas stuff. Yeah. No kidding. That's interesting. That's really funny. Well, we've come a long way since then new big build building and, I don't know how many staff they've got in there then, but I was the same way. I, I drove over from uh, St. Louis and I was on a, I was in the medical device industry at the time and I was winding that career up and I was on a consulting gig and I drove over in a snowstorm and I walked in there and, and, but for me, they were expecting me. I, there was a billboard, like a, I don't know, like a, not a billboard. There was a chalkboard or something that said, welcome, Whitetail Properties, welcomes Neil Hogger. And they had uh, the TVs in there that uh, were, playing the Whitetail Properties television hunting shows and all these guys that I, you know, kind of idolize in a sense, you know, sounds kind of weird for a grown man, but you know, these guys, I was, I'd been living vicariously through these guys for a number of years. Cause I, I was always in a hospital or on a plane and I got interviewed and that's how it started for me. But you cold call, that's, that's classic. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. I think everybody that's there has a you know, a unique story just because of the structure, how most of the people get hired. So it's kind of neat hearing everybody's story. Well, a lot of guys, you know, they, I get guys all the time, like, how do you get into this company? And then like, and I'll be honest with you. I, I cannot tell you how to do this because there are guys <laughs> that, well, heck you're one of them. There's guys that literally walk into the place and they give them a job and it's the best job ever. And you're killing it in your territory and all the way down to guys that they run through the ringer. And I, I was probably somewhere in the middle. I mean, I had a, I had a phone call with, actually, I cold called Dan Perez is how I got in. I think I was in Norway on a, and on a business trip. And I, he's like, how'd you get to hold of me? And I said, well, I know how to get to the right people. And next thing you know, he interviewed me and, um, Wes McConnell, um, you know, Wes yeah, probably, yeah. he met me there and he was all, you know, he is just an easygoing Louisiana Southern gentleman and big smile and warm handshake. And he's showing me around and taking me up to the studios where they, film the videos and all the profiles. And actually I'll be honest with you, I was a little underwhelmed because I didn't understand how video and production happens. And I'm like, really all this happens in here, huh? And it was this little room with a black drop and behind you and lights. And yeah, it was, it was really cool though. I was 
excited. So, well, cool. So yeah, you got, yeah. so, so you got a background in wildlife management. I started out in that as well. I started going to university of Wisconsin, Stevens point was not a good student dropped out, but you finished it. And then your dad's in the oil and gas and timber. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was a cold truck driver, never went to college or anything, but ended up working off. They realized he's good with people and he leased like I ended up doing for him and then just worked his way up. He got a partner and, uh, you know, pretty soon I think we had drilled 350 wells in PA and, you know, had a bunch of land he was doing timber stuff on. So that was a, that was a real good start. And it was interesting growing up because, you know, I grew up, you know, pretty not well off and, and then kind of got to where at least we were comfortable and, you know, so it was neat to see all that and have a different experience instead of just growing up one way or the other. I'm looking at your listings here and they're all PA, but you mentioned Ohio. So are you kind of straddling the the state there or are you all, is your territory all PA? All PA. I think it's been four years, like you said, time five. I think four years ago, I let my license go in Ohio. Um, okay. Kept it for a little bit coming into PA. was doing a few there, a few here and uh, I think four years ago, I just totally, you know, overwhelmed here with being, you know, doing good and it was time to just let it go and, and uh, focus here. Yeah. You know, a lot of guys uh, that are in the real estate industry that maybe know whitetail properties don't, they don't understand our model and our model just for the listeners is we we're assigned counties. Like I, I have seven counties in Western Wisconsin. What, how many did they give you? Uh, <laughs> I think I have six to myself and then me and Josh Ongley share two more. So okay. Eight, eight counties kind of. Yeah. I started off with, uh, 13 and, uh, you know, there was no, we were really young. Jeff Evans would call me up and says, Hey man, you want uh, Buffalo and Trumpelow County? I'm like, sure. Yeah, you bet. And then, then like, before I knew it, I had, I was driving like 70,000 miles a year. It was ridiculous. And, uh, we advertise a lot as you know, and man, it was getting expensive sending out flyers and everything. And then, I brought in uh, Chris Polfus, who's one of our great agents here in Western Wisconsin. And Chris and I kind of worked together a little bit and we, we thought about partnering up, but I just wasn't physically ready or financially ready to do it. So long and short of it, I just said, Hey, Chris, why don't you just take, you take this half of my territory and I'll take, I'll take less. And hopefully, you know, you'll do better because you got your own territory. I'll do better. Whitetail will do better overall. And you and I will just literally control the Indian head, we call it a section of Wisconsin. So that's what we did. So I started off with 13, but I'm down to uh, seven right now and much, much more manageable. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So how's the, how's the market doing there? Because we, in, in my area, man, I tell you what, it went absolutely bonkers. Like during the COVID time with, I'm near Minneapolis. That's kind of my market metro influencer and everybody and they still are we're trying to get the heck out of there uh because of all kinds of forces uh the not not only covid but the liberal government they're just people are vacating they're pouring out of there and it just drove our prices up i mean overnight land that was selling at i don't know like recreational slash some tillable might have been four or five thousand bucks an acre. Next thing you know, these twenty acre, thirty acre parcels are selling for eighteen thousand to thirty. Commercial sites along this freeway that comes through here that was like the freeway to nowhere, thirty, forty thousand dollars an acre. I mean, it just went bonkers. And I was at one point, I'd say two years ago, I was up to about sixty listings. Um, and I'm looking at yours right now, and you got at least I don't know eighteen, twenty five, maybe yeah, roughly. It looks like you're really busy. Yeah, it's, uh, it's you know, the same thing happened here, and I tell people uh, quite a bit. I feel like it, it's a unfortunate event for society turned into fortunate events for, for me in the land sales. I think it started out with uh, rioting and then COVID, um, and, and then, you know, it led to uh, the war and, and um, uh, overseas. And then that led to now banks collapsing, um, all that stuff, you know, unfortunately then feeds our business because of the same thing that you're seeing. Uh, I tend to be York, Lancaster, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., and Pittsburgh people coming to my area. Uh, I would say that's 90% of my sales, 10% being local people. Um, 
So, you know, those same events you saw have really made it crazy. And the market here, um, because of my territory, probably more than anything, overall, I wouldn't say if you took a 100-acre farm, the price per acre didn't necessarily jump up a whole lot. It was just the fact that a lot more were selling. Then when you got into, I would say, probably 35 acres and less, those prices probably doubled. Uh, and some of them tripled, depending on the size and location. So it was kind of an interesting thing. I still tell people, you know, the right 100, 200, 300 acre farm is still selling now as things slow down on other stuff from what I hear. Uh, those are still staying the same, and the prices didn't really jump up that much. Maybe 200 an acre, but not much. Um, whereas that smaller stuff now seems to be dying out. Uh, not as many buyers out there. And that's the stuff that really jumped up per acre during everything that's gone on the last three years. Yeah, I would kind of collaborate with that, um, corroborate that, I guess. Um, same thing. You know, I look at the larger pieces in certain areas in uh, in dirt, different counties were different, like Dunn County, uh, Polk County. They, they, you know, they, they jumped up a little bit. And I would say maybe a little bit like 500 bucks an acre. Dunn County is probably on average, you know, 3,500 an acre. Um, but the perception of the buyers that are listeners are like, what are you talking about? It's way more than that. And I said, no, it's not. I, I, I could show you, like I can take up land sales bulletin and I could give me Otter County or Otter Township. I'll show you the, the sales and I'll go back to 2021. And yeah, there's always an outlier. There's always like the, I just did this. So they're, you know, nine grand an acre, but the rest of them were like 1800, 2,500, three grand an acre. There'll be a 6,500 an acre if it was tillable, but it, I didn't really see that either. But then in other areas, like the largest of like Buffalo County almost doubled. I mean, I, I, I had wow. a client down there that was buying land. Uh, he's a football player and a Rex football player and he retired and he, bought a couple farms from me and um, I'm not going to give the exact details, but you know, I was saying he was buying around six grand an acre, five grand an acre, depending on how you want to look at, you know, value of the home or buildings in it. But let's say it was six grand an acre and he and his partner told me, he says, you watch, we'll manage this up. And within the decade, we're going to be at 10,000 an acre. And I thought, whatever, dude, I mean, yeah, you can, you can, you can maximize a property and improve it get some good deer pictures and there's always going to be people that will buy it because they, you get a booner on there. That that's, those are the outliers, but, um, it's not going to jump that much <laughs> within three years. I mean, he just sold a piece, 10,000 bucks an acre and he's all proud wow. of it. Yeah. And it literally doubled. And if you go back, like I would say you go back to the mid nineties, it would, it would have been three, three to $600 an acre. And now it's selling for 10,000. In some areas. Yeah. And those are the highly managed ones, but it's just unbelievable. And then the transitional zone. So like buyers, um, there's this term in our business that we call, it's called transitional land. And it's land outside of metro areas. And this probably applies to a city around you too, Clint, but I think it applies anywhere in the U.S. There's a zone and I would say it's usually 30 to 40 minutes from the heart of the city that is rural and there's still farms there, but the houses are starting to pop up and, you know, you're seeing these little pods of development, but there's still plenty of space and, but it's in transition and land that was, you know, once or still is maybe tillable ground that would have historically sold for six, 6,500 an acre is no longer tillable ground, even though it's in tillable ground, it's still used as tillable ground. It's not, it's somebody's future, you know, 20 acre horse farm. And now it's, $18,000 an acre is transitioned mentally into something else. And that's what we're seeing here. And I'm wondering in your area in Western PA, cause you're kind of far away from like Eastern PA is the heavily populated, right? And you're a ways from yeah. there. How many, how many hours away are you? Well, like Philadelphia is five and a half. All right. So it's, it's, and that's, you know, what you're exactly explaining. I don't have, um, and that's why those people are coming to my area. You know, the York, Lancaster, Philadelphia area is extremely exploded. And uh, even north of Pittsburgh has. And so exactly what you're saying happened there. And it's causing more people to come to my area, then, mm. basically. Yeah, we, you know, we get the little influence, like Minocqua, um area, 
Eagle River area, northeast Wisconsin gets a lot of Chicago influence. They come straight up. I think it's Highway 53. They come shooting straight up out of the out of there, and it's a five six hour drive. They don't even think twice about it. Um, my side of the state, we have Hayward, and it has a lot of uh, uh, Minnesota, Minneapolis influence, and but it's only three hours. And people, you can still find land in northern Wisconsin. I'm listing a two hundred four two hundred and two hundred acre parcel for, for like four sixty eight, and that's really affordable, but People, I don't know. I just don't see see people flying up there five six hours like they do for you. So I don't know what it is. Maybe the maybe the people on the East Coast are just more willing to travel. I guess. I think maybe some of it too. Um, you know, I, I went to the University of Wyoming for two years, and everybody there said, "Oh, you know, you're from the city. How are you such a country guy?" And I had pictures of the mountains here, and a lot of people get that image of Pennsylvania because you do go east. And if I drive over, I'm like, oh, my word, this is insane. And I think that is so bad, bad in the fact that it's so populated that they're willing to go further um, right. and get out and then even just drive to a camp for a weekend and, and hunt or ride side by sides because it is so populated there. And you guys probably have a little more space. Uh, I would yeah. that to, to roam overall. <laughs> yeah, you can get 30 minutes out of like central – uh, Minneapolis and you can be in Wisconsin and it's, yeah, there's just lots of, there's state parks and a lot of open land, but well, being a city guy or not a city guy, you're traveling a lot too for hunting, right? You're you get around, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, uh, kind of slowed down more on the whitetail thing. And in, in the last few years used to go all over and had some property in Iowa and Illinois. Um, don't, don't do that as much now. My, my fire agent and then small homes and, and rural camp agent here, partner, Paul Baker has a big farm. I've been hunting in Illinois late season, but uh, mostly been focused on in Alaska there. We've done do it ourselves moose hunts the last seven years, mm. have a little cabin I built by hand up there in the middle of nowhere. So that's kind of been more of my focus is, is maybe the bigger game thing. That's awesome. It's always been, well, tell me more. Cause I'm interested. I, I always wanted to go, I don't know what it is about moose. I want to do a moose hunt, but I don't know that I'll ever make it. But yeah, tell me more about that. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's definitely. I would say if you're a hunter, that is the hunt to go on. I, I long story short, I worked in Alaska all summers in high school and college. I uh, ended up getting my assistant guide license, guide golf sheep hunt. Golf sheep is, is my favorite thing to hunt. But I would say as far as the overall experience and then the animal, just the size of it, the moose is. If I was going to tell anybody to try it, I would say go do that. And that's why I ended up back up there. My friend from the Wisconsin Dallas, which I'll actually be in Wisconsin Dallas tomorrow this time. Oh, really? <laughs> um, but uh, he he said, hey, you have all this experience. You think you could set up a hunt? And I said, yeah. And so we figured it out. I have whitewater rafts. I did a bunch of research and found a place. Um, we fly in. I uh, landed a private airstrip. Uh, oh, well, public, I guess, kind of. And float 85 miles, uh, and we've been 100% successful on shots at animals, and then we've got at least one every year. Um, so it's it's definitely a, an interesting, awesome thing, but it's a lot of work too. <laughs> so my questions, I have a lot of questions because I I definitely want to do this. So let me just start with the top. How much does something like that cost? What can I expect to put into it to have a guy like you? I want to be one of your buddies that you take out there and do this. So it's it's very widespread there. If you pay for a hunt, I actually just had a guy refer to a guide up there this morning. You know, a moose hunt's going to be twenty eight to thirty five grand. That's why I'm not uh, going. If you pay a guide. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you do it yourself, uh, you know, and the issue is then okay, I own rafts. I have the stuff that would cost probably a little more, but basically we've come down to where with your flight and everything included getting the meat back i mean everything uh they're gonna have around 55 to six grand into a successful moose hunt if you're not successful obviously it's a couple thousand cheaper um so it, it you know 
compared to a guided trip, it's super, super cheap. And that's a lot of friends has to go. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So 35,000 or 65,000 or 6,500. Yeah, 6,500. <laughs> all right. Now you're talking. Yeah. I don't know. You know, I hate to put a number on everything. It's all about money, but man, there's just no way I'm getting my wife on board with doing that. There's just no way. I You were at the meeting, remember last year when I started bidding on that Africa hunt and won it? Remember that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So uh, the listeners don't know about this. So I'm going to give the highlights of this one. So I'm, we're at, we're at Whitetail Properties National Meeting and we do it every year and we raise money for some charitable organization. And, and, uh, Pete Alfano goes to this camp in Africa and has done so many times. The professional hunter over there, he became friends with, and he, got him into, into, uh, America on a, I don't know, like a week work visa because some of the South Africans, somebody put out a hit on him. And so there's, you know, the old apartheid and the blacks and the whites, and they wanted the whites out of there, I guess. And, and, uh, they tried to kill this guy multiple times. And I, I, I can't say this for a fact, but I think he had to take care of business more than once to defend himself. And, um, so anyways, uh, he, with this hunt comes up for sale and I was at, do you remember this? I mean, there wasn't anybody bidding on it and nah. right. It was kind of low. And I remember Rob Saunders getting up there to stop and go, fellas, come on, all you guys, you know, make pretty good money. Come on. This is for charity. Let's go open up the pocketbooks and let's, let's get this thing. And then he stepped back and, and the auction starts going off and I'm looking around and finally I just raised my hand because my wife, has said to me, and she says, I don't listen to her, but I did. I always wanted to go to Africa and photograph uh, giraffes. And I'm like, all right, well, there's probably giraffe. I don't know that there's giraffes here, but they're in Africa. So there's, there's gotta be a giraffe. Okay. So I raised my hand and, and, oh, 2,500. And I, who's got 25, 25, guy, 20, 20, you know, and all of a sudden some other guy raises his hand. Oh, 28. And then he comes back to me and then it's the bid back and forth. And you get the guy standing in front of you and he's pointing his finger at and everybody's looking at you. And he's like, he's like, come on, come on. Yeah. And shaking his head like, let's go, you know? All right. And I thought, I said to myself, all right, 7,000 is what I'll do. I make the money. I could afford it. And I can, you know, and, and I never in a million years thought I was going to win it. And I want it at 6,500. So I get home <laughs> and I, yeah, I get home and I know I've been on some guided hunts and Western hunts a couple times, nothing major, but I said, Hey honey, guess what? We're going to Africa. What? Yeah, we're going to Africa. I bid on this hunt and I won it for 6,500 bucks, 10 days, all inclusive. My wife went off the deep end. I mean, off the deep end. And she was really upset that I spent the money, number one, without asking her. And I said, well, I had to get it without asking you because it was an opportunity. And I bought it 6,500 and it's like a $12,000 hunt. And I got a buddy there right now, as a matter of fact, hunting. Uh, I don't think at this camp in the general area, he just thought of, shot a blessed buck this morning and he's going out for warthog right now. He's oh, while we, wow. yeah, while we speak, he's probably shooting. And she was, you bought this for yourself. Don't tell me. And really what it was is my wife wants me to buy her a cabin on a lake in Northern Wisconsin. And I just took, you know, 6,500 bucks out of the pool that would have been her cabin. And, and she was not happy. So there's no way I'm going on a third $55,000 elk, uh, elk or moose hunt. Maybe I might be able to pull off six grand 65. So we'll have to see. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah but anyways well cool so um well hey let's talk about investing man so you you you're a timber guy and you recognize timber and you know in wisconsin i i tell you what i don't sell a lot of property just for timber and so i i think i recognize decent timber i'm looking pictures of some of your properties here but when you're buying these properties as an investment and you're thinking for timber value can you walk us through a little bit about your process and I mean, how do you get started? What do you look for? That type of thing. Yeah. So one of the, I would say, you know, and uh, Wisconsin definitely has, has the timber value in some areas. I think one of the biggest things that as I deal with clients, they might have no knowledge of that. They hear oil and gas in Pennsylvania and they say, oh, you know, I want that because I want some kind of ROI. Yeah, and uh, they don't realize how much timber's worth. That actually per acre is the highest driver in values here. You know, tillable almost virtually means nothing, even if it's really good tillable. Um, 
So, and, and seeing trees, one of the big things dealing, you know, with maybe more urban people is just because a tree has a huge trunk and you, you probably see that a lot in your area where, you know, you've got these field edges or hedgerows and there's huge white oak or whatever. And they have a huge canopy, which is great for wildlife. Those trees aren't actually the, the best for timber because what it is, it all comes down to board feet. And I'm not a math guy, so I'm not good at that side of it, but it all comes down to the board feet. And if you have a tree that's, let's say, 28 inches in diameter and holds that, and they have calculations that you can do to then figure out the board feet with the taper of a tree, but our good timber is very straight. And so it might it might have uh, 48 feet that stays at, at 28 inches in diameter, almost the whole way out, 48 feet with, with no limbs. And so that's way more important than having a 15 or 10 foot you know, huge bot, let's say 48 inches or, you know, one of those trees. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I do. Yeah. That tree's awesome. But so that's what's the hard thing is because you'll show people property and buyers try to explain that, okay, it's not about this canopy or how big a bot is. It's we want long, tall trees with no limbs on them. That's your highest dollar saw timber tree. And that's the first thing I look for. If I'm going to list a property, uh, or if I'm showing it to buyers, is pointing out, okay, here's a tree with this set diameter. Now see how many logs there are. And how the timber industry works is it's all 16-foot logs. So if I call out, I'm um, doing a timber tally, that's a 16-inch diameter tree. It's got three logs high. That's three 16-foot logs. That's a, that's a really good tree. You're going to average most places are, are two or under. And so I look to instantly see if I have trees that have over, you know, two foot, 16 foot, or two logs, 16 foot high. By now you guys have heard me talk about the acres.com, one of our new partners. Acres.com is a software tool that I've folded into my business to help me really understand a property. And one of the features that I am specifically keying in on is the Vegetation Health Index uh, page. And basically what it does is I can hover over a property and I can look at successive years and I can see the health of a property. So if I'm looking at a property from the air and I see this heat map and it's got a lot of reds and oranges and yellows, I know that, well, it's maybe a little bit unhealthy. And if I notice that oh, a few years ago, it was all green. And now in the successive years, as we get up to the present, it seems to be getting red or orange. Well, that tells me that it's been mismanaged. It's a degraded. There may be issues here. And as a investor of land or even an owner of land, I want to know how my property is doing. And I want to definitely know how it's been treated in the past, because that's going to affect my own use, the value of that property, fertility has a lot of implications. So check it out, guys. You can get a free membership of this on the basic level, but I've got the next level up. It costs me $299 a year, and I'm able to print off these reports. I'm able to dig into them. There's just a lot of features. So I want you to check it out. Go to their website, acres.com. Give them a call. They'd love to give you a free demo and tell them you heard it from the American Landman. So let me ask you a question. So in Wisconsin, I see these trucks hauling logs, but I don't see 16 foot like long logs. I'm seeing like eight foot cut logs. So when I'm out looking at trees and I was on a property just yesterday that I'm going to list beautifully managed timber. And it was that exactly what you said. It wasn't that big canopy limbed out, gnarly looking old oaks. It was these tall 30 inch plus straight up in the air. And I was like, I was counting eight foot logs, one, two, three, four, you know, logs without any limbs cutting eight foot lengths, but you're doing 16 foot lengths. Is that a regional differences or logger preference? What, what's the difference? It probably is partly regional. Um, and then it also depends on, you know, what area, if there are a lot of trees like that, if you have a shorter canopy in general, like if you go to West Virginia, if you go to Ohio, overall it's shorter, so they might cut more uh, eight foot logs then um, instead of doing the sixteen, just because in general there's more more of those logs and the mills are set up for them. Um, the the sixteen, the longer the log is, uh, the more they can do with it, and the straighter it is, it can become veneer, which is when they basically shave the tree and can use a veneer and make you know countertops or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's maybe one thing. Um, Pennsylvania has the highest amount of veneer hardwood as any state, and so that might play a factor in why 
that's more why it's done here. Mm. Yeah. You know, I honestly, I, I tell people this all the time. I get guys that call me and they say, you know, I want to, I want to buy some land for investment. I'd like to have some timber value. And I'll tell them, I'll be honest with you. I just don't come across a lot of timber value quality properties. I mean, they got trees on them. Uh, and I, you know, maybe for pulpwood, I guess we get a lot of that and you'll see stacks of, of at the pulpwood mills in Hayward. Um, and they're all like eight inch size logs, but you rarely see those big, heavy, beefy oak, you know, maybe veneer quality. They're always eight footers, by the way, everything I see is eight footers, but I just don't see that. But I was on a property in Polk County, uh, Wisconsin near Frederick yesterday. And I believe I'm going to be listing it. The guy as usual, I go sit down with them and, um, they wanted to list it and they said they wanted to list it. And I gave them a, uh, you know, a price. I went and walked it. I photographed it. I gave them a commission. And then of course I sit down with them and then all of a sudden they don't want to list it. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, yeah. What did I just do? So, so then we're probably going to get into that. These difficult, you know, sellers, and maybe that's our segue, but, um, Kind of to round out this discussion, what tell me, give give the idea of uh to a buyer that's listening to this, what do they look for? And it might have to be regional to you when they walk on a property so they can go, wow, there's some timber value here. I would say that. Look at without even doing any calculations, look at the stem count, which means how many trees are over. I tell people go by 16 inch in diameter. If you look and you think it's about 16, you can measure it, but how many of those trees do you see within about a quarter of an acre? And then how tall they are. If they're all two, two log or three log, you know, that's going by 16 foot. If there's, if there's at least 15 and even a quarter of an acre here, you're starting to approach a pretty darn good timber value. Um, and that's 16 inches and up diameter. And they call it DBH, which stands for mm-hmm. diameter, uh, breast, breast height. So okay. that's uh that's the way to do it. And you know, then you can get more in depth where you do a prism cruise. That's what I do before I buy stuff. And you you're actually calculating how many of those trees and how many board feet are there. Um in a in a good timber property here, you know, you should be looking at anywhere from six to ten percent uh ROI on that timber. Um so it's it's a pretty good investment if you're in the right area for sure. And and that's why I explain it and talk about it a lot in my videos and stuff because, again, it drives my prices on average. I would say I'm around 2,500 an acre in my area. Um, but uh, you could have a timber property where it's 6,500, 8,500. I have one right now. It's 9,500 an acre just because the timber's worth almost that much. So you do factor that in. You factor the stumpage or what a guy might be able to take off of this property. Yeah, but you do. Okay. If they're really good timber properties, I'll, I'll get a calculation. I have some clients I work with a lot that they automatically go and mark all the timber and give me that sheet. So I can actually show these people and then the numbers make sense to them. All right. Where you just mentioned videos, where, where do people see these videos that you talk about? Uh, on Instagram, I mostly do a lot of Instagram okay. videos. Um, you know, also on our Facebook page, but yeah. Yeah. That's probably what I'm seeing coming through. All right, good. Well, you know, so going back to these, these sellers, you know, I go out there and I'm not like you, I don't have a prism or whatever you you measure with, but I walked onto this property and, um, I did a video. If somebody wants to look at it, go to my Facebook page. I put a 13 minute video on there. Um, and I walked through it and I was blown away by the beauty of this property. It was in the managed forest law program. I don't know if you have something like that in, in Pennsylvania, but, it's a, it's a management program and it, and there's 25 or 50 year programs. And this had been entered into a 25 year program and then recently renewed. So I think he had done two cuts off of this property already. And they came in there and you could tell the areas that they released, there was some fairly new stumpage. And I would say within the last five years, they probably did this at the end of the last 25 year program. They came in and cut it and then he re-entered it into another 25 year program. And I would bet about, or you tell me, I'm thinking about every 10 to 15 years, they're probably thinning and they're going to take some nice timber out of there. Really nice. Um, yeah. Yeah. Is that what you see? Yeah. That's, 
if it's been managed properly. That's the biggest thing when you see, you know, a lot of stuff is considered to be high graded, then you're looking out further than that. But if a property's been truly managed for saw timber, yeah, you're looking at 10, 15 years, you should be able to cut. Most pro- most properties probably have been high graded, I'm betting. And that's a term that I haven't used here. You want to ex- kind of quickly explain what high grading means? Yeah, so what would happen a lot of times stuff, uh, sawmills just buy out right here uh, or even forces market. And basically, they'll go in and do a diameter cut. So, and, and very popular here in Pennsylvania, 14-inch chest high. They'll go in and cut everything. Well, you're eliminating, uh, you know, the, a lot of the regrows. And when they do that, they'll leave ones that are maybe even bigger than that because they're crooked and they aren't a good saw timber tree. And so if that happens in many places here, it's happened three or four times since, since the original hard cut in the early 1900s. And by now it's almost all bad quality timber and it's totally ruined the, the future timber value. And at that point, uh, you know, almost the best thing for a property is to clear cut it and really? start over. Start over. Yeah. Huh? Hmm. Is that financially worth it to a guy? I mean, it'd be ugly for a few years. I guess he can hunt it later, but. It, it creates good hunting. What what I'm big on and have done on some of my properties, if it is that way, go in and do what's called a shelter wood cut. And yeah. I would argue that's the best wildlife cut you can do anyway. But I'll go in and just cut all of the less desirable species. And it might. Almost look like a clear cut. It might have a real nice tree every acre, every quarter acre, whatever your timber structure is. But you've cut all the junk out and leave the, the nice, better saw timber. So you're, you're creates, letting them come back. Yeah, you create a huge boom, almost like a clear cut. But you've got a good seed tree putting seed down. That's a good quality tree. And and just because there is that little bit of shade, it might not be very much because there's only one tree every acre it helps the other ones grow faster than a typical clear cut would. Mm. Wow. I get those up here that uh, tornadoes came through here a few years ago and I actually made um, a video a couple of years ago now about um, storm chasing for prop, you know, property purchase. And um, that was one of the points that I made is that man come in, they, they knocked down a lot of stuff. It was the tornado, but it looks like a shelter would cut. There's about 12 to 15 trees per acre, maybe roughly. Is that about right? Uh, yeah, probably. And hopefully they're the better quality ones, but within two years, that's going to be a friggin' jungle. That's going to be 20 feet high. And, um, I, I made the suggestion that heck you should target these things because you can buy them really cheap. I mean, I, I'm, I'm thinking places right now near Balsam Lake, Wisconsin, a uh, tornado came through two years ago, knocked down millions of board feet of, of timber and all through there, They've come in, I don't know if they're harvesting it for timber, if they're just cutting it for firewood, but there's just big, huge blocks of just nothing. I mean, it just looks like hell. But when I got up in there, I'm like, okay, well, there's a trail system here and here's a, you know, some decent uh, soil. You could carve out a food plot here and put up a bank spline and, you know, you could buy this super cheap and it might be a long hold, you're saying, because it's going to take 25, 30 years before there's going to be trees good enough to cut in there, right? Or how, or will it? I mean, how often could a guy come back in there and take some timber out of there? Because you're going to need to thin it, it, I keep thinking. Yeah, it depends on how the damage of, of a tornado, if it's almost a clear-cut situation where a high-intensity you know, high tornado said it's going to be, you know, and I don't know, Wisconsin timber. So, But here you would be looking probably at 50 years. Uh, if it was a near clear cut type of scenario. And I saw like my friend there in Wisconsin Dells, one hit right there at his property, barely hit his, but hit the neighbors um, that same year, I'm guessing. And it, it didn't take all, all of the big oak trees down. And so it was almost a good scenario where the shelter where it took a lot of the, the pine, uh, especially because he has sandy soil there, but the oak trees live. So it was, I would say a pretty good scenario for wildlife jump right in and, you're not going to get a timber ROI, but you're going to have some of the best wildlife habitat you can get. Right. Yeah. And you're probably going to be able to buy it cheap. So if you're in my area, focus on the Dells, it sounds like maybe, and focus on uh, Polk County because up there, I mean, that land right now, um, I would say it's about 1200 bucks an acre as is like it is in an area that easily sells for 3,800 an acre on the, if it was a normal wooded parcel, 
uh, maybe even a little higher, somewhere around 3,800, I'd say, give or take. So that's a good way for the listeners to get into a property. But the challenge is- I'd be though, all over that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the challenge is, though, is getting these guys um, that own this land to be realistic about what they have. So maybe that's a good segue to talking about you know these difficult landowners, let's just say, and the sellers that, because we deal with them all the time, right? I mean- yeah. I, I see this. So here's a recent example. I, I'm talking to this uh, guy and he's got uh, 20 acres. And of course, this is the best property around. Okay. How many times have you heard that? And old house on it, kind of a MacGyver job. Um, it's got four or five, like, I don't know what they were, Clint. They were like trailers, like painted army green. And they were like, it was like, I honestly, I didn't know if he's cooking meth in there or if he's like got body stuffed in there, who knows? Um, but he's just absolutely convinced that this land that he has is the best ever and great deer hunting. I hear that all the time. Great deer hunting. There's just great deer hunting. And which again is a variable that we could talk about. Um, and I'm sitting here talking to this guy, listening to him and thinking, you know, he just doesn't get it. And he's got it in his head, 100% in his head how this is going to go down. He knows the buyer that he's going to get. It's going to be an athlete. I hear this. Side. It's going to be an athlete and, uh, or a lawyer or a doctor. Um, yeah. right. Cause, cause you know how yeah. they spend their money. You, have you heard this before? Oh yeah. On a regular basis. I suppose the stories are the same, but the people are different, but yeah, it's a, uh, I had one guy say to me, he goes, well, you know how those guys are. They, these athletes say they got the gold chains and they got the gold teeth and they got, you know, big Mercedes emblem around their neck. And cause they're, you know, they make all this money cause they pay for the Vikings. And I'm like, okay, so let me just, let me just get this straight. You're looking for a multimillionaire with gold teeth and a big emblem that just throws his money around. That's the strategy that we're going at. That's what, that's what you want. <laughs> <laughs> not not the ideal market right but i'm sitting here talking to a man i tell you what i'm talking to this guy actually this is a real story i just did this i had a buyer with me and we got an offer on the table right now and this guy is talking to me and he's telling me who's going to buy this property this is a this is a unique property it's it's tailored after frank frank lloyd wright and it's like 1970s geometric design with bad windows and it looks like the brady bunch might have lived there in 1975 he still has the orange carpet and it's just really lived in and and but this guy's got this plan in his head of how you know kids are going to come out and they he's going to build uh like a like a picnic area down by the Creek and they're going to play in the, in the water. And, and, you know, a guy could come in here and what a guy could do to this. And he, you know, and he's just going on and on and on. And I'm like, okay, can I, can I interrupt? And he's like, yeah, I, I want your opinion. I go, are you sure you want my opinion? Cause I'm afraid I'm about to say some things that are going to get you kind of angry. He's like, no, I want to hear it. I'm like, okay, you sure? And then my my buyer sits there. He knows me. He's like, hey, uh, let me just say something, uh, John. Neil's really direct, just so you know. And he's very experienced. He's done this a lot. He's helped me buy and sell. And so he's kind of like prepping this guy for this conversation. And I'll be honest with you, it didn't go well. He, <laughs> he did not want to hear. He just didn't want to hear it. And for the buyers, you know, we, we, Clint and I deal with these these sellers a lot of times it's because we're talking about sellers. They just, they just have it in their head. Don't they Clint? They just have it in their head and they've talked them into the store themselves into the story and they're not budging. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, a, a big thing that you hear daily. You know, it sounds like we both do, but uh, they have an idea of who's going to buy it. And then they, I think a lot of times they have a, a, an interpretation that, we, because we do have a great brand, you know, we sell the most land. Um, but then they think we have that exact buyer. And I hear that a lot. Like, oh, yeah, you probably work with a lot of, you know, football players from the Steelers. Yep. And, and I'm like, not really. And we, I don't care who the buyer is. I'm not trying to target some, uh, you know, specific buyer. I want to find the buyer. And it could be any person from any realm <laughs> or culture or whatever. And, the goal is to get them here and not push our agenda to what we think it should be. And, and 
and get to touch something else. That's why a lot of times you hear realtors don't want sellers to be there at showings. It's not because anything else for me, but that most of the time because a seller will start pushing what they envision because they put their own blood and sweat in the property and they really have you know, great feelings for it and you know it's fixed in their mind. But that's you, you can't push your agenda or what your thoughts are on someone else. And, and that's what happens a lot. And so they try to do that to us. So we have to sit. I sit hours and hours. I feel like a week listening to what sellers think is the best buyer and, you know, what makes their property so great. And it's almost like they're selling it to me. Right. And a lot of times they need to, to slow down on that and actually let me go to work and, and do what I know you know, will help get people to buy it. Well, this guy, so I started talking, I said, all right, well, can we, can we just talk about your property? And this is what I see. And cause you asked me to come out and you physically asked me to give you an opinion. So can I, can we do that? And I, and I started like pointing out, okay, so your soffits don't, aren't aluminum and the housing, uh, the siding down here has got a lot of dry rock because we walked around it. And and I said, I noticed you have these like squirrel cages that are start stopping the bats and the squirrels and the birds. And he's got fishing line like strung up along these eaves to like act as a physical barrier so that pigeons or I don't know what it is, but you know, would run into it and not go in there. I said, so, I mean, what's, what's that all about? And he, uh, he didn't really want to like, well, well, yeah. And, and you know, it, it, it's not that bad. And I'm like, okay, but what's that about? I mean, cause people are going to notice that and I need to understand. <laughs> right. And yeah. they, he didn't want to, he was kind of glossing by it. Cause I think he was like blind to it, you know? I mean, so how do you, how do you approach that? Because what he's really getting at is this is worth way more than you think or anybody else. Cause I know the value of this. That's what I hear all the time. Yeah. And I think that's one of the hard things. I try to then step back and, and tell them maybe my story. You know, I bought an abandoned farm and there's no house anything, and the field was totally grown up. And I go into kind of then, I think it helps them step back and, and say, okay, this guy isn't just sitting here willy-nilly coming up with a, a price or whatever. And tell them how hard I put my time into it. And I think it's worth a fortune. But that doesn't equate to a person buying it because they didn't do that physical work. They didn't put all that blood and sweat into it. And they're going to buy it for what they think it's worth, no matter what you think it's worth. Right. You know, I I offered, I said, all right, all right. Well, you know, I'm just giving you my opinion. Okay. So, you know, let's take it down a couple notches. I said, how about this? I, you know, Nick Pronald is my partner here and he's an, he's a licensed appraiser. And he's also a sales guy. So he kind of understands what you and I as a seller agent are trying to do. But why don't we have, you know, Nick, look at this property and have him appraise it? Because, I mean, you and I can, you know, I'm kind of feeding him sometimes, you know, I can see what you see. Okay. I get it. But, you know, what we have to have is the buyer see it. And what's more important is when he gets a loan from the, from the bank, the bank has to see it. The appraiser yeah. has to see it, right? So it doesn't matter what we think. It matters what the appraiser comes in at. Oh, I don't need an appraisal. I just, no, I don't need that. I know what this is worth and I'm not paying for an appraisal. And I said, oh, I'm not making you pay for it. He'll just look at it when we list it, but we'll take his advice because he is a licensed appraiser. He won't give you an official appraisal, but we know that this is going to be appraised. I'm not dealing with banks. I'm not being dealing with banks. I it was the next thing. So then yeah. <laughs> I said, all right. Okay. So now we're, now we're selling it to a cash guy who is going to look at this going, okay, I'm paying cash. I'm not getting a bank, but I'm going to have to fix this stuff. And you're asking in this case, it was like four fifty, and the land is worth 132. So 450,000, Doing my math, minus one hundred thirty-two thousand for the land, three hundred eighteen thousand dollars for this house, but it's not worth that much when there's all this work that needs to be done. It will be worth that much when the work is done, but this buyer, this theoretical buyer that we're talking about, is not going to pay you for the work that he has to do, right? Yeah, and I'm like. I'm exactly. slowing, I'm slowing it down. I'm like, you see what I'm saying? 
I mean, it will be worth that, but it's not worth that now. So we can't we can't plan it or price it for the quote what a guy could do unquote strategy. I got shown. And up. I think that's a conversation <laughs> that I get a lot too. You know, a lot of older places here. You know, it's a little bit older than areas far settled, and that's what I constantly tell people and make them try to understand it. Okay, if it was pristine. We would be asking that. It's not, do you want to spend the time and money to do it? Most of the time, it's not worth it. And I tell them that directly to them. It's not worth doing any of this fixing of doing anything. It's more important to drop the price. You're also hitting a different buyer point that then can afford that and then do the work themselves a lot of times. And they don't have that extra cost of hiring someone. And so I, I, I think that's one important thing that, uh, sellers need to understand it's better to drop the price, not do a bunch of work, and and realize that they're going to sell it quicker because it is at a lower price point than if it was a totally redone pristine place. I'm going to agree with you 100. percent And this is a real this is folks this is a real issue I just literally had this week. All right, I'm not hearing you. I'm not listening. I know what it's worth. You just make an offer. You just make an offer. We'll see where it goes. I got somebody else that's making an offer. As a matter of fact, I got multiple offers coming in. And and uh, so make an offer. I'm going to look at them. And we shook hands and I laughed. And as I was walking out, I said to my buyer, I said, do not pay more than 300000 for this property. You will be putting 100000 into it all day long. I know you love it. Don't fall in love with it. It's not worth that. And I'm going to guarantee you, I can't guarantee it, but I'm almost positive that they do not have a buyer at $450,000 because if they do, they're re I, I would say they're idiots, but that's not nice. They're really uninformed and they're about to make the biggest mistake of their life. Cause they're going to buy this MacGyver job that is not cut cu- is custom. And anybody that's going to come working on this is going to have to be a real craftsman to, to work on this because everything, nothing is square. It's all angles and it's going to cost a lot of money. And so I wrote an offer on this property uh, today and I sent it over and it wasn't anywhere near what this guy wanted for this property. And my appraiser, Nick, went in there and he calls me and he says, yeah, thanks a lot for setting me up on that one. He's like, he's like (laughs) pissed off because you said 350 minimum. And I said, I never said that. He said that. I said, well, why? okay. I kind of went, okay, well, you know, I didn't want to be insulting. And he believes what he believes. I said, let's just get it appraised. Let's find out. Maybe you're right. Maybe I don't know anything. And that, and so he doesn't want to do that. It's almost like he doesn't want to know what it's really worth because then he'll have to disclose it. Yeah. And that's something that maybe in my area, you know, that's one thing in my market. We see it a lot in all of Northern PA. Um, appraisals very rarely come in. And so I average about 70% sales cash um, or people then that make up the difference in an appraisal. And so mm. uh, I I tend to tell sellers not to get an appraisal. If they really don't like what I hear, then, you know, maybe they would. But we kind of almost have the reverse where here, I, you know, the appraisals come in low a lot. Um and, and my struggle is more people than going to another agency that inflate the price. And they'll basically just tell them a number that they know they want to hear. That's exactly what's it. happening here. Yeah. Yep. And that's one thing I would say, you know, if any sellers are listening, the biggest thing is to understand it's not a bid. I'm not a guy giving you a bid. I hear that a lot. We're there to give you what we know the market is and what we know it can sell pretty close to because we want to get you the best dollar for your property and the people that come in and give you some crazy high number and call it a bid that that's wrong. And it's not going to help you in the end because the, the property is going to sit until they drop the price down. And then, and then, yeah, they might sell it then. Well, this guy said he had two appraisals and I said, can I see the appraisals? Are they appraisals or are they opinions of value from an agent? Yeah. He's a real estate agent. He gave me appraisal. I said, okay, again, is he a licensed appraiser or is he a real estate agent? No, he's a real estate agent. I said, okay, so he's given you an opinion of value. That's what he's given. And I just want to, I just want to say 
be careful about that because right now agents are going to tell you about anything that you want to hear just to get your listing. And if you give it to them at 450, you might even get an offer at 450, but a lot of times have these contingencies of inspection, which is going to find all the things that you know are here because you showed them to me. So they're going to take that off their price because they're not going to buy something at the full value and then have to put that much more into it to repair it. So they're going to say either repair that you have the right to cure or you could choose not to cure it. And I have the right not to buy it unless you take it off the price, which is what they'll ask you to do. So then the gamesmanship will happen and it'll sit on the market for, you know, six, you know, six weeks or whatever, while they, while they do all this, you know, inspections and whatnot. And man, I tell you what, dude, it was just a, it was just a really, it was a hard discussion. It was really contentious. I mean, it really was. In the end, he sent me an email says, okay, send me over your market analysis. And I, I honestly, I just kind of said, I don't know that I can be the guy for you. I just need to say, I just don't know that I can be the guy, but we'll see how it goes. But yeah. And I think that's something, you know, I would say to, uh, Sometimes, and it, it's no fault, it's, it's my fault probably, but I think sellers need to realize that, that uh, sometimes it's just not a match. And I've turned down listings because of that, uh, you know, more often than I would like. But sometimes it's just not, you know, we're not the right people. You know, most of the time we are, but there, there can be situations where, you know, I'm not the right guy to, to sell this. And it might be because of their views or their thoughts on the property. Um, actually where I'm sitting a couple miles from one where I had a, a client, you know, that, that requested that they be there. They also requested stuff that isn't legal. Like they wouldn't sell to any Amish and I couldn't show it to Amish, Oh yeah. but went into all these things. And, and I was, I did that with that one. I mean, it was a huge dollar listing here. And I said, listen, I'm just not the guy for this. I can't you know, discriminate. I, I, I can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. I had the same thing. I, and I'm like, look, I'm just, I, I'm not having this discussion with you. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not. And they just like, well, I got, I got another guy right now. He wants to do a, a, a deal with cash money on the side. He'll pay this much and then he'll put the rest in cash and hand to him in a bag or something. And I just said, I can't be a part of that. Sorry. Not your guy. <laughs> yeah. Like, no. And you, you hate doing that because you, you know, you want to, you know, treat all your clients and be the best age you can be. But there's times you just have to draw the line. Yeah. Yeah. We're just not doing it. Well, this is good stuff, man. We just went over an hour, so we should probably wrap it up. Cause I think you're somewhere in the mountains of Pennsylvania sitting in a truck right now. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 I am. All right. I gotta, I gotta let you go. All right, man. Well, Hey, um, if somebody needs a, uh, agent in Western PA, they could be you. How do they get a hold of you? Yeah, definitely. Um, phone number is 814-952-1455. I'm on Facebook, Clint Sutherland Specialist, Instagram. Um, so, yeah, look me up and love to help you out Get you in the, in the right property. All right, real quick, do you have any screaming hot deals that people should go look at this one? Any Anything you want to direct people to, the Whitetail Properties website, Clint Stout page? Yeah, actually, I do. I have one that I personally own. It is not listed anywhere, Ooh, uh, but it is posted on Clint Stout uh, Land Specialist page on Facebook. It is a very unique property. It's Thomas Kane, a general from Civil War, got 125,000 acres, and it is the last of his estate. It's a giant 10,000-square-foot uh, Victorian house, fully furnished to be a bed and breakfast. Uh, with all the history stuff still intact in it. And uh, I think at 10,000 square feet in garages, we're asking five ninety five. dollars uh, Pretty screaming deal. How many bedrooms and bath? It's 10 bed, 8 bath. Oh, dude. Free that's like, natural gas. So you can heat it for free all year round. Airbnb all day long. Yeah. What exactly. a story. And how much? Five ninety five. That's a steal. That thing, I'm telling you right now, listeners, that will rent on Airbnb for three to five hundred dollars a night. I bet. Just, Easy, yeah, but just because big groups can yards. come there. Exactly, and it's got all the catering stuff, uh, you know, side by side trails, and it's two hundred yards from the National Forest here in Pennsylvania, and you can walk fifty yards and fish Blue Creek. Wow, 
and go to, to Clint Stout Land Specialist on Facebook and you'll find it. Yeah, sure. All right, dude. We just sold that thing. Somebody's, your phone's going to start ringing right now. I think I heard some beeping. That's somebody on your end right now, ready to write a check. Hey, buddy, thank you very much. I might pimp you out a little bit more on this uh, hunt because I'm looking at your pictures and I'm like, oh, man, this guy's living the life. All these awesome pictures. Check him out on uh, Instagram. And uh, this is a good talk. I appreciate you being on, man. Yeah, thanks. No, I really appreciate it. And I uh, keep rocking it out there in Wisconsin. Will do. And if you get here, come and hunt with me. I'll see you in July. All right. See ya. All right, buddy. See ya. Well, I really enjoyed that conversation. I've been a fan of Clint for a while, Clint, if you're listening to this. Um, mainly living vicariously through your photographs on Instagram. Just the coolest stuff. I mean, he's a traditional archer and he's got these uh, pictures of him somewhere up in the tundra of Alaska. But, I mean, photographs of bucks and bears and a big whitetail and just cooking out on campfires. And you can just tell that Clint, just like he said, he's kind of a country boy. Doesn't even have a TV. <laughs> I could probably take some lessons from him on that. Uh, just loves the outdoors. He lives the lifestyle, represents whitetail. Great. Just a great guy all the way around. That was an enjoyable conversation. So I hope you got a little bit of insight into Clint as an agent profile, a little bit of insight into what we deal with as agents here, trying to bring you guys the best properties we can. And if you're interested in getting the market and you'd like one of us to help you, give me a call. I have guys like Clint all over the United States that are friends, brothers, sisters of whitetail properties. I'll get you hooked up and we'll help you get a piece of property with a guy that really knows the local market and just has a great perspective like Clint. Because we want to make you an American landman one acre at a time and we're waiting to do it. So give me a call. Hey, folks, with that, I'm going to sign off. I'm Neil Hogger. I'm a land specialist with Whitetail Properties Real Estate, and you've been listening to the American Landman Podcast. <laughs>